Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Tommy Bolding. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, we spoke briefly on the media wall at FrightFest at the world premiere of your film, Hounded, uh, which was a very exciting moment. So before we get into the fil- into the making of Hounded, do you want to just reflect on a world premiere for us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it was a bit of a bit of a blur, if I'm being perfectly honest. I mean, I, I, I'm not somebody who sort of suffers from anxiety or nerves too much. Uh, and I didn't up until literally about half an hour before we screened that. Really? <laughs> before we screened. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't that I was nervous. It was just like, I, like obviously, like my, my background is in editing and I've spent a lot of uh, hours prepping films to be screened for test screenings and all of that sort of, um, and you, and you're always worried that something technically will go wrong. Yeah. Like you've done, you've, you know, you've done all the work creatively to get it to where you want it to be, but there's still that paranoia in the back of your mind that even though you've watched the quick time yourself, like that it's just going to cut to black and everybody's going to turn around and look at you and go, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> and uh, I guess, I guess, it, so I had that feeling, which I always have when I do those test screenings, but sort of ramped up by another 50%, I would suppose, because it wasn't just that people were looking at it on a technical level. They were probably going to judge us on a on a creative level as well. I guess as well, I guess having having done so much work as an editor, is it is it when you're directing a film, is it does it bring home like how much film is a director's medium in, in the sense of people will look at the director more than anyone else as far as Yeah, yeah. I mean you you yeah, you cop it if it's bad. Yeah. Nobody else cops it if it's bad. Right. Like I guess some people might feel otherwise in other departments and maybe the actors feel differently. I don't know. But ultimately, like, if if people don't like your film as a director, you might not get to do it again. <laughs> and that's quite a lot of, that's quite a lot of pressure. It um, is, yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, and, and I guess going back to that experience of being an editor, I've worked on films which haven't been as successful as people would have wanted them to be, but it doesn't have a, negative as much of a negative impact on the on the crew and the heads of department because they'll just go on to the next job and 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 obviously the nature of the turnaround of these uh, films is that a a dop or an editor could have gone off the shop two three more movies Mm. like before before the the previous one came out you know what i mean whereas the director is still sat on it waiting for it to have some sort of impact so, so before we, get in, game. before we get into then, so what was what for you then was a high point? What seeing it with an audience? What, what, what did you see happen that you were hoping would happen? Uh, just people enjoying it. Like that was like it, it, they they got the tone of it uh, and just seemed to enjoy it because we've made like I like to think we've made a like a a film that has something to say mm. is the quote unquote genre film. So it, hence it was playing at Fight Fest, but also I always wanted it to have a sense of adventure and fun as well mm. and, and have some lighthearted moments. Um, and yeah, I, like sitting at the back of the Prince Charles cinema in the dark, watching people laugh at places I didn't know they might laugh and uh, laugh at places where I thought they should laugh and, or or react to some of the more visceral moments and uh, yeah that that was great to be honest that was that that was a real high point and then we and then we did a Q&A afterwards and um some of the audience questions were just really positive in that 
you can tell from the Q and A when they're it, the, the the style of questions they asked whether or not they liked the film, and it felt yeah. to me like they enjoyed it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Now uh, we've talked a lot around it, and we've said the title of it. So for uh, for those who've tuned in who haven't seen Hounded, do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what Hounded is about? Yeah. Um, so Hounded is uh, about four inner city youths who um, do uh, burglaries uh, on on the tip off insider information of an antiques dealer and um they take this job within our film um which is just to go after this one particular item they don't ransack houses they pick houses that are empty and they usually are robbing from people they know they can afford to miss whatever it is they're taking yeah um and um they are yeah sent on this on this burglary one night to 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 try and find this ceremonial hunting knife and, and when they get there all is not what it seems, and the uh, owners are laying in wait in the dark for them. They are captured, uh, kidnapped, bound, released the next morning without their phones in the middle of the, uh, to them, what seems never-ending, sprawling British countryside because they're very much city kids and uh, left to survive. And then within no time at all, they hear the... Uh, the uh, harrowing sound of the hunting horn on the on the horizon, and they're being chased by a uh, fox hunt who are using them as their quarry, and then it becomes a battle of survival. Indeed, it does. Indeed, it does. It kind of in 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 a, if I'm, if it's not too simplistic to say, it kind of does. It kind of comments on what Get Out does for race in America, as what classes in uh, in the UK. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that is sort of where we're pitching it out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like the, one of the things that appealed to me when I was sent the script was it was uh, an entertaining movie, but it was it was without being overtly on the nose. It was making quite a uh, quite a big statement about class division in Britain. Mm, indeed. Indeed. Now, um, it's going to be available to watch. So do you want to tell people how they can see it and when they can see it from? Yeah. Um, so we're having a small theatrical preview on the 28th of October, um, which is with Showcase Cinemas, I think, just at a few sites. Um, and then it's getting its, uh, um, I forget how they call it these days. But HD it's, digital um, release. HD digital release. It's getting, yeah, on all the usual places to rent and buy. So Sky Cinema Store, Amazon, and all the likes of those Apple sort of stuff. things. Google, yeah, Apple and Google and all, all those usual places to rent and buy. Fantastic. Well, look, congratulations. It's an excellent film, and anybody that wants to know my opinion on it can read my review from the Frightfest uh, screening of it. Now, you say you you when the script got into your hands, uh, your producer, Ben Jacks, has worked with uh, Ray Bogdanovich and Dean Lyons before on the Hatton Garden job. So, obviously, they were a known quantity to him. and, others, and So... How does that script for the for the um, for the un, for the filmmaker who doesn't know the machinations of this? How does a Dean and Ray script get into your hands in the first place? Well, through Ben, yes. Right. I mean, funda- fundamentally, came through Ben. Um, I've known Ben for uh, oh, like the best part of twenty years now. Okay, um, not in a professional capacity to begin with. Like um, we. We uh, we've known each other because I had I I knew people he'd gone to university with, and we all ended up living in the very 
close proximity in East London when we all graduated and um, all became good friends. And then we've all gravitated towards doing film, video, television, uh, visual medium, all that sort of stuff in our 20s. And then as we got older, we've all started doing independent films and short films and dramas and, and feature films. Um, and so uh, and my first few credits as an editor, Ben was the line producer on. Okay. Um, so it was when Ben was still making his way up to being a producer. Um, and I think we did um, three films together, uh, all within uh, about an 18 to 20 So it's very much, this is very much about a sort of iterative process and a relationship that's just got, sort of, you've grown, just grown, up, yeah, you've grown up together, as it were. Yeah, but yeah, like, and sometimes work together. And uh, the, in fact, the very first short film I did, Ben was producer. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Yeah, mm. I did a short film called Life Sentence, which was written and directed by Ray Panthaki, the actor. And it was about um, uh, knife crime within London, and it was mm. about these two youths who get embroiled in in a in a in a fight, and a knife gets used, and it's about the devastating consequences. And that did really well at uh, East End Film Festival the year that that was. I think that was back in 2012. I think. Okay. And Ben had produced that, and that was one of the things Ben was producing, like on a smaller scale, while he was line producing some larger budget independent stuff. Um, yeah, and we did about we did. I think we did about three features, which um, he was line producer on, and I was getting my first edit credits as as feature film editor. And um, and then we go off and do different films, like independently from each other, and work with different people. But always, always remained good friends socially. Like we've got a good uh, group of friends, and yeah, probably see each other every couple of months for a drink or or a film screening or something like that. And and yeah, just keeping in touch with people that way, obviously. No, no, no. So, uh, so in that sense, then, when the script when the script gets into your hands, um, when you're reading that for the first time, obviously Ben's saying, "Here's a potential script for you to direct," and I'm sure you read it amongst other scripts as well. Uh, what was it? When do you remember a point when you were reading the script where you were like, "This is the one for me"? Um, I don't remember if there was a specific point. No, to be very honest. Um, I just think it was one of those ones where I just, yeah, the, the whole, the whole thing was I, I, funny enough. I just checked before we did this meeting just to see what, uh, when it first landed on my, on my desk and it yeah. was May, 2019. Okay. Ben, ben sent it to me and that was probably two days after we'd been in town watching a football match, having a beer. And he said, I've got this script from Ray and Dean and I think you'd really like it. And it, it's for a first time director because of the scale it will be made at. Um, and I read it and I, my response was, this is great. This is already in a really strong place. I've really enjoyed it. Like, um, I don't remember it being a specific moment. I just remember thinking um, the the obvious things that, that, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say, it sort of reminded me of something like Eden Lake, which I'd really mm. enjoyed. And it was, and I just thought, oh, if I get to do something like that, which is like, for a first-time film, I just was really excited by the prospect of it. To mm. be very honest. And then once you're once you're on board, what what are the challenges then for you as a director and the film you want to make and the script you've got and how you bring Dean and Ray with you, and you and and they come with you as as it were. There was a work to do in that sense. Well, first thing was to convince so Signature were financing it. Who okay. uh, Signature Entertainment? Um, who uh, Ray and Dean. And Ben had all done Hatton Garden jobs, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they already had they already had a good relationship there, 
And um, so that bit was easy for Ben, but I was the unknown quantity, obviously, because okay. it's, it's, okay, it's obviously okay having like a dozen or 15 edit credits, whatever I had at the time, hmm. but I'd never worked with Signature. They didn't know me. Um, so the first thing actually was to convince them that I was the right person to direct this movie. So okay. um, the very first thing I did was actually create one of these sizzle reels, the rip reels. So I, like, I don't know if you're familiar with them. I am very familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically taking all of the clips from other movies, compiling them, them in, into something that felt like a representation more of the tone and the and the feeling of um, what I thought Hounded should be. So we had lots of clips. I had clips from like The Hunger Games or uh, How I Live Now and things where people were surviving wilderness or pursuits and all those sort of things, but also just things that felt visceral and tonally correct and I think little clips from maybe even Rambo and Predators and stuff, Predator movies and all those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, and just cutting it to a piece of existing score that was already out there. I think I used um, a piece from American Animals, the movie, like this, which is really bassy and, and quite primal. And um, I cut that together. Ben said, "Look, I don't know if you need to do this, but if you want to do it and you use your editing ability, then then it's not going to harm your chances." And I. So I cut that over a couple of week period and we presented it to Liz and Katie at uh, at Signature and they they were like, this is exactly what we had in mind for the film. So I think we're all on the same page. Fantastic. So then that was me, that was me sort of agreed to be the director on it. And then and then it became a case of just obviously like the script was in a good place, but that I still wanted to impart some of my thoughts on it. And um I think Liz and Katie hadn't really, and Ben himself hadn't done much work on development of the script at that stage so, so it evolved it, like it changed a bit not uh, massively we had a few issues with the way uh, a couple of the characters just behaved like and just their general demeanor that we, which we ironed out um but the plot was already there the plot mm. was like in the shape pretty much as you see it now like um so we we spent a bit of time developing it and then by this point we're getting to late 2020 uh 2019 sorry and then obviously the pandemic COVID happened <laughs> yeah so we we'd always we always geared up like i think but ben sent it to me in may 2019 the intention was oh we'll, look we'll do a bit of work on the script and we'll shoot it in 2021 yeah yeah and then obviously COVID, and then obviously covid happened so um so then it was just a case of well look it's it's and obviously you sit there waiting to see what's going to happen with COVID. And then it becomes clear that we're not going to be shooting that summer. So, and it's very much an outdoor movie. And it's like, so now we're waiting for spring 2021. Like, mm. like, um, but that meant that actually we knew we had 10 months to basically get that script. Like basically we looked at the script again with a fresh set of eyes and we had a few people read it as well and offered notes that were no involvement in the project. And although it didn't change drastically, what it did do was a couple of people said all of the deaths in the, and this I'll try and do it without spoilers, but obviously people die in our movie. Hmm. All of the deaths are pretty telegraphed. We could pretty much guess them from the outset. So we were like, well, let's, let's think about that and let's all go away and think about what we need to do to make that a bit, more unusual and um yeah and we did so we we did change the order of the deaths that key, some key characters happen and um the the result of it actually meant that it really heightened this so when when the 
when the kids, I call them kids, uh, obviously they're not kids, but um, when they're out like trying to survive in this wilderness, being chased by hounds and people on horseback, um, this obviously, and they're in the middle of the countryside, it, like the fish out of water element just became even more heightened because mm. Because of the because of the way we do things now that would I, I won't go into too much because it would spoil it but um it it had a, it had a sense that um they were even further out of their depth yeah so <clears throat> in, you've got a core core quartet of of young of young people um that make up the, 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 the ones being chased across the country what was your what was what was the process of getting them on getting them on because they, they they obviously they're the core of the movie. That's who we care. That's who we care about. So, mm. what was important for you, and and how did, and how did you go about finding them? The important thing for me was that I I didn't think I could be one. I couldn't tell a story. Which, like, we're talking about kids who grow up in South London. Non, we're not well. We mentioned Peckham, but we we don't specifically say they're from Peckham. But um. What I didn't want to do was tell a story about angry youths in London. Like mm. I just didn't think that I was the person to tell that sort of story. Um, like, and uh, obviously, I'm referring to something like the Top Boys and those sort of kids in those sort of films. And like, I never wanted to. There was no suggestion that they were anything other than petty criminals who just do a bit of burglary. Uh, they never mean anybody any harm. There's no drug dealing or anything like that involved. So yeah, this, is, this isn't this find... isn't a gang of home invaders, are they? Like Cherry Lane or something like no, that? No, no, no. It was just that they ultimately I wanted to have uh, and 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 this is a testament to Ray and Dean's script. Is like these kids were written with hearts, and it was mm. like they were good guys. Like yes, with questionable uh, behaviour in terms of breaking into manor houses and stately homes, uh, but ultimately there was um there, there was a moral reason which is that they, they are like leon who is the bigger brother to Chaz in the film is trying to fund the opportunity for his brother to go off to university mm. which he's not going to be able to afford to do without what they consider th this is their only means and um, so i was really i was uh, very adamant from day one that whoever we cast in this we need to they need to feel like really nice, intelligent, um, good-hearted, good-spirited kids, basically. Mm. And um, and not and, and one of the things we really worked on when we were working on the characters in the script was Vix was quite an angry character, and we and we really pushed away from that because we just thought it was a bit too tropey, if I'm honest. It felt um felt like we'd been there, seen it, done it. And mm. I know and it also she was so angry at one point I actually said if she's that angry at these guys why is she hanging out with them all the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like um but yeah so it was about finding uh finding people that we just um that were joyful to be around as much as anything to be to be yeah, quite yeah, honest yeah. like because like you say we spend four we, we these four guys we spend the majority of the movie following and being with and supporting and rooting for and it was like we wanted the, we wanted you to really care about them, and um, and I think doing that was was through making them seem like quite uh, humorous and banterish, and mm. um, but loyal to each other, and there's clearly a, like a lot of love there between them and all of that. Um, so then, in terms of casting, like we, I, I must say, we got a little bit, or not a little, a very lucky that um, 
in terms of Vix and Chaz, um, uh, Ben had worked with Hannah, who plays Vix before, mm. and I'd worked with Malachi as an editor. I was an editor on a film that Malachi had been in. Um, and um, we both, when we were talking about the casting, Ben and I both brought those up as options. And we got tapes in for other people. But, um, uh, but Ben obviously was vouching for Hannah, said, look, she's great. And I was vouching for Malachi and said, look, I think he's perfect for Chaz. He's our lead role. Um, and they both wanted to do a tape for it and they did tapes and they just knocked it out of the park. So those two being really the, the crucial roles in the movie were actually probably the easiest casting. When, when, I, when I spoke to Hannah at the media wall, she was saying how much for her, it was a role that was for a real working class female character who wasn't defined by who she might or might not fall in love with. It was a real, for her, the character. Yeah. Was was about her, not about not determined by anybody else. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, and I think that's, yeah. Hannah really responded to it, and that was one of the things we. we my very first chat with Hannah was Hannah had pulled over on the side of an A road to take a Zoom call, <laughs> and I was a bit worried for safety because cars were just flying <laughs> by. <laughs> um, but um, she, yeah, she said, um, yeah, she did really respond to the fact that there, there was no. There was no uh, sex interest. There was no love interest or anything like that. It was it was just about her being very like with all of them. But I think why she really responded to it, it was about just being very there in the moment. It wasn't like you said. It wasn't too much about the connections that that might or might not interest her and all of those sort of things. Um, yeah, and and also she she was very adamant to me that she was um, like. It was it was not trying to put, pretend to be anything that she wasn't, mm. which is I think she says I think a lot of the times that the actors get asked to be something they're not, and 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 this this just felt very much like who she was. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so think, I think testament just, to, yeah. and testament to, to that casting then is that when you watch the film, it it feels like a very natural gang of people. You know, you felt like they knew each other. Yeah. There was a real chemistry between them. Now, at the opposite end of the scale, you've got the Redwick family. Who, who are almost like cartoon archetypes in some in some yeah. senses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to yeah. to almost to, to to make the point as much as anything else. Um, <clears throat> but and you've got you've got James Lance, you've got Samantha Bond playing, really turning it up to eleven. So when when you were casting those in those roles, what was your conversations like with them about how far they go? I mean, because I remember talking. I mean, Nick Moran plays the the sort of gamekeeper kind of. Helping yeah. hand, the master, the master of the hounds. Yeah, yeah, master of the hounds, and he he was talking. He said to me about how it was. Like, he said he imagined you know Michael Elflick in a in a nineteen seventies Hammer House, you know horror or something for his role. Um, but but you know, I mean, James Lance's character is, is borderline ridiculous at times, but it's fantastic because it doesn't feel too fa- you know in terms of my perceptions of the kind of posh red coated hunting brigade. It actually isn't that. It doesn't feel that ridiculous at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we always talked about it being, um, I mean, certainly heightened. Mm. Obviously, we were talking about it being heightened. And absurd is a word that came up quite a lot. Like yeah. we said, the, beha- the behavior can be quite absurd at times. Um, like with James, I mean, James just really relished that. Like um, James, I had, a, I had a phone call conversation with James and we talked about like, about repression as well uh, in in that class like and he was we were trying to explain 
why would, how could we explain that behavior away? And he's, and, and he, and we had this conversation, which ultimately came up with this idea that was even within the upper echelons of class uh, and in the elite society, it's like, there was obviously a real like uh, discipline of behavior. Mm. Um, and, and, and actually when people when he isn't being watched and obviously so samantha bond plays Catherine, who plays his elder sister this sort of matriarchal figure like everybody has to behave as expected until they're not being watched and then they get to let loose a little bit and it was and it was we had this idea that what well, james did to be fair and it was a, like a lot about maybe maybe that hugo was always into the theatrics and the drama and all of that sort of stuff but it was always sort of asked to push it back and and keep it within because that isn't expected of him so um yeah out on this hunt trying to impress his son miles who's with him like just going a little bit further than might be deemed <laughs> same was was something that james wanted to play with and 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 i i always like i always wanted to have a contrast in styles between the two gangs like mm. because i think that's like like our kids are in this very harrowing, gritty, grounded, visceral space, and uh, and the the Reddicks are like just frolicking about and they're and playing a game, literally, a, aren't they? They're yeah, they're, they're laugh, they're having a game, and and everything's a, a bit of a joy to them, and, and and a bit of a yeah. And I just thought there was something to be had there, and it was it was never a case of like. I think I can't remember who I said it to. I think it might have been Nick even. Like I was like, we're not Alan Rickman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but we've got a foot on that scale. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I mean, Nick, Nick blessed him. Uh, like I, I did have to dial Nick back a bit at times. Like, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that because a couple of times I was like, oh, if, if we're not careful, we are, we are going a bit too sketchy here. Um, but but again, uh, you get to play with that in the edit as well. Like you get to you get to choose how much to push and pull. Exactly, yeah. And and I think you know, and I think what's brilliant about the sort of two gangs of four, as it were, is that you you show us exactly what entitlement looks like, and you show exactly what feeling not entitled to anything looks like at the same time. You know, so these these groups of people are both British, but actually they couldn't be more different in terms of mm. their outlook on life. And I think that's a real strength of the film. Um, now. You- yeah, and an entitlement was a buzzword as well, obviously. And it was like, like, and and you, entitlement is the yeah, a sense of entitlement is permeates through all layers of society, as you've just touched upon. And and just because you're uh, a kid growing up in a, a on a council estate in South London, doesn't mean you don't have a sense of entitlement. It just means it's very different. Yeah, well, you, know also, I mean? you don't like, know you 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 don't know a what... lack of sense, lack of entitlement. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you went out into the British countryside and shot a lot of this movie. Do you want? Yes. Do you as as a, as a as a director out in the wilds? Um, I had two questions really, and it was it was it was a, I think it was a very similar challenge for Eden Lake as well. Is like, how do you, how did you go about making sure that the British countryside? seemed vast for starters let's start with that question because ultimately i'm someone that's i've done lots of walking around the british countryside you're not 10 miles you're not a few miles from any sort of conurbation but for the purposes of your film 
you know, our, our, our gang are lost. They can't they can't find their way yeah. out of a paper bag. I mean, it, it may as well as be a desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how what were the yeah. what were some of the tricks that you were playing with there with, the, with with cinematic tricks to to ensure that we felt like they were they were in this vast wilderness? Well, um, I mean, one of the very first things that struck me when I started to really think about this film on a visual level and how we do that, and I, I and I'm somebody who goes out for country walks and I do quite a lot of cross country running as well. And mm. it is actually, it is, it, it, I know what you're saying about you never really 10 miles from anywhere, but if you don't know where that anywhere is <laughs> and you're without a phone, yeah, it can actually be quite like, I've got myself lost on runs before, like even with a phone, <laughs> like, like now, um, so if you, if you throw four kids who aren't used to that out there without their phones, um, you can, there are times, and when we were location scouting, there were times when we just would spin on 360 and like point our iPhone cameras in all three, all 360 degrees, and we couldn't see anything. We couldn't see any. We couldn't see telegraph poles. We couldn't see buildings. We couldn't see anything that resembled. Okay, okay. Like, and 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 so that gave us a real like confidence that we could probably do this. We shot near the, um, we shot in the Chilton, sort of near Luton area. Okay, um, and. I mean, in terms of cinematic techniques, I um, like I wanted this to feel quite a lot like a western. Like um, that was a big it was a big thing I had with Martina, uh, who shot the movie, our DOP. Mm. Um, uh, because what I really like about westerns is the use of um, portraying characters in their landscape, and that and that was obviously what this film was about. Um, and obviously, the other thing is as well when you like when you're looking at visual references in, within cinematic past of horses as well, then western is the go-to genre mm, for indeed, you. Like, indeed, yeah. Like and and even but even like uh, like the Asian films uh, Kurosawa and all those sort of stuff, which are obviously westerns within their own right. Um, uh, like um, so, yeah. So so it was a lot about shooting. Um, I mean, we we chose to. Sh- Martina convinced me because I, I I did I wasn't experienced enough to know the choice of spherical versus anamorphic lenses and all those sort of things. But Martina did some camera tests and showed me how how wide we could make that landscape look using the anamorphic lenses. And how and the one thing I always said was I want these people to feel small on these landscapes. Yeah. I want them to 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 be overwhelmed by the countryside. Um and so um also watched a lot of things like things that you might not think of because of the connection with the genres, but like Stand By Me, if you watch Stand By Me, there are four kids walking and they are tiny little dots on the horizons, like when they're walking along that train track. So, so we, we had, I I would say I need more Stand By Me shots, right? (laughs) That that would happen almost daily. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, um, yes, really, really, like using those anamorphic lenses to really expand the the horizon so that it really stretched across the screen really like as far as you could. Um, and then, um, yeah, and, and I guess like giving them a sense of, um, I mean, that the first scene when they, when they hear the hunt, we do cut into, not very often, but it's one of the few times we cut into their POV and the camera pans around and you really can't see anything other than yeah, yeah, fields yeah. And, tr- and trees. And uh, the truth is, we weren't. We were probably 500 meters away from a, from a, a, I think a countryside resort or something like that. But it was it was obscured by all the trees. So amazing. Um, so yeah, just just clever, clever, uh, just 
very specific location uh, choices. We we got very fortunate that um, we approached a farm near where we uh, sort of decided was going to be our base, and um, they had a guest house uh, which was connected to a working farm, mm. and they owned seven hundred acres of land. And um, that anything that feels like farm in our film is all basically shot on their land. Um, they gave us free roam. They said, "Look, as long as you don't destroy any crops, go for it." And um, seven hundred acres is a big amount of space to Indeed, play. Indeed, yes. And 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 uh, we could just take. We had a couple of vehicles. We had a couple of vehicles and a gator. And obviously, we'd been out there weeks in advance, and we'd sort of wandered around and chosen this scene is going to go here. This scene is going to go there. And and variety of landscape. That was the other thing. It was it was like how do we show green? How do we show brown? How do like how do we have it rolling hill? How do we have it uh, a wheat field? How do we have it a farrow field? Yeah. Like all of these different. They, they were uh, almost all of this was available on this seven hundred acre farm, and it was if you show enough variety, these. These guys feel like they've walked for for hours. I know, and, like, and it's and testimony was... to your film. It does. It does definitely feels like that. Um, now, yeah, we've talked about the actors and we've talked about the landscape. Um, as a director, do you want to talk about your? And the film's called Hounded. Do you want to talk about how easy or hard it is to be directing dogs? Uh, it's definitely it's definitely not easy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't direct hounds. You throw bacon. <laughs> Say that again, sorry. You don't direct hounds, you throw bacon. But that was it. That was what we learned. They they don't go where they're supposed to go unless there's a reason to go there. Like, um, the fact, so, yeah, you do not direct hounds. It was, it was the lowest point of, of the whole filming experience was lunchtime on the first day directing the hounds. And I, I disappeared by myself into a room and pretty much just crouched down in a corner with my head in my hands and said to myself, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, because it just wasn't going to plan. Like there was, uh, and it was, a, it was, a, it was the sequence where our first character gets caught by hounds. Um, and it was something that I'd been um obviously worried about because it was the first first day of filming with 16 hounds yeah um and uh i'd storyboarded it i shot listed it i was as prepared as i could be and all of that went out of the window because because these dogs these hounds just like to be fair i mean we get there we got there eventually yeah, but, yeah. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't know in the yeah, finished yeah, film like, to be fair tommy you wouldn't know but it's interesting to know these but, challenges but, well, it's just it was just it was trial and error, and they they weren't they weren't. I think what we should say is there's no such thing as um, film trained hounds. You get film trained dogs, obviously, yeah. but hounds are trained to follow a scent, and that's pretty much all they. And, and they are exercised to follow a scent, and these are hounds that still go out on a quote unquote hunt, but they're not going out quote unquote fox hunting. They're going out scent hunting, yeah, and they're the trail hunting. Um, so they are still very much like they're, they're like like they're like kids with the taste of sugar in their mouth. Like they just get excited and then they just like just want to move. <laughs> and but they don't necessarily want to move in any sort of coordination that is beneficial to making a feature film. Um, and so it did. It took a couple of hours for us to really work out how we can trick these dogs to go in specific places. And and yeah, like I say, sausages, ham, and cooked bacon was pretty much. 
their main motivation. I mean, we laid we laid their scent, which is like a, a really, from what I was told, a really really potent scent that, mm. that, that, that they they get aroused and excited by. Um, so a couple of times we got them to follow a line as a as a whole pack, and um, and and they follow that uh, they follow their master as well. So he would be hidden just off camera, tooting the horn. And that would excite them as much as anything. But then when it was a case of getting them, so that's one thing, getting them to just move from A to B within the shot that you've lined up. That's you talking about how you corral them to direct them for what you want to do. What happens when they start interacting with you, with your actors? Um, well, it doesn't help when two of your lead actors tell you on the morning you're supposed to be shooting with hounds that they have a fear of dogs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, it's not. It's the sort of thing you should have mentioned in your audition. Although I don't know if we'd have changed who we went with anyway. Um, but um, yeah. So yeah, our very first morning, I was like, "Oh yeah, you you have a fear of hounds in a movie where you might get um, mauled by hounds. Brilliant. That's a good start. Let's uh, let's get you familiarised with these hounds." So we basically had to cajole these two whimpering men. <laughs> into a crowd of 16 hounds who basically just want to jump over them and lick them and these hounds are these hounds are big like they yeah. are and they're their only muscle like they like they're not intimidating <clears throat> they're not aggressive at all they're not angry dogs but if you don't like dogs i could see why they would be i mean i i i have a phobia of dogs so i can completely relate to the uh to that but then again i'm not in a film with dogs in it yeah and you're not, and they're not trying to jump on you, hump on you, like lick you. And no, all that, that. Would, that's like um, room, that's like room one hundred one stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so we had a we had a uh, a very very intense, quick like uh, familiarisation session with these. That's hounds, amazing. Which, well, it did. I don't. I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure it put them at any ease, knowing full well that they were then going to be jumped on on camera later. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of getting the dogs to do what we wanted them to do, um, again, meat, they just seem to go for meat. So we were hiding like rashes of bacon in actors' pockets for the dogs to try and sniff out and find, uh, or dangling on a piece of string above them. So they would jump in a particular direction. And, and, and after my morning or after my lunchtime of despair, to be fair to Ben, the producer Ben Jokes, he pulled me one side. He said, "Look, stop trying to film the perfect scene. Just get the camera in there. These dogs are these dogs are crowding. Just get in there and get messy." Yeah. And 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 that was that was uh, a revelation, to be honest, because I just abandoned all the shot list and the and the storyboard mm. I thought would make this scene perfect, and just went with what uh, just basically gave Martina free reign to find whatever was m- looking the most aggressive or dangerous moment with those dogs and just being in there and some of it was literally dogs on the lens almost and and it it was and 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 so we just shot more way more than we needed we just basically shot until we tired those dogs out and they wouldn't give us any more all afternoon and and then it was that, that was one of those scenes where it was like you've got everything you're supposed to roughly have but that was the hardest one in the edit. So just make sure, like, because you're snouting for truffles, like in the edit, as I call it, like you're just watching all of those rushes and finding four or five frames here or like 12 frames over here and mm. and and just and just making a semblance of 
danger and uh, and aggression from these hounds as as they maul this particular character. In what way do you think um, editing informed you as a director? Fundamentally, just knowing when we could move on from a scene because our schedule was so tight, right. um, uh, uh, and knowing, like I said earlier, like I, if it, if it was a dialogue scene, I wouldn't get into storyboarding it so much. But if it was a if it was a quote unquote action sequence, then I tried to storyboard them as much as I could mm. um, because. I could edit that. I can almost edit that before we shot it, if you get what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, cool. So I, I knew, I knew, I know exactly which shots I wanted, and and if we had time to get extras, or and obviously I'm not bound by the storyboards, but it's just a question of being prepped and mm. knowing and just trying to be as quick as I can on the day. Um, if, so if if something else was available and came up, then or we we saw a new angle that was that was worth getting, then we got it. Of mm. course, if we had the time. Um, but yeah, as an editor, I, I guess, I mean, it just on a multiple on multiple different levels, it helped. Like we we went into production with an eighty nine page script, and uh, I think the last draft we had before that was ninety eight pages, and I basically had a long Zoom call with Ray and Dean and said, look. We're not going to shoot 98 pages. We just won't have the time. We've only got 18 days to make this movie. We need to get this under 90 minutes mm. because I just know that I don't want to, we haven't got the time to be leaving loads of this on the cutting room floor in experimentation. Um, so we had a really, really like ruthless calling of nine pages of the script. Okay. So that I just, just wouldn't, wouldn't, I could see myself leaving out of the edit in the long run, even though it would have been nice to try it. Yeah. I just thought my hunch my hunch says these aren't going to survive in the film. So that so that helps just in the writing process. Mm. Um and then yeah, I, I guess, yeah, like I say, just on on the day on the set, it was just a case of um sometimes Martina would offer up a new angle and I'd be like, no, look, this I, I get it, but we've we've got the scene and the schedule doesn't we've got to move on. We've still got another okay. two scenes to complete. So it's very very season. much a pragmatic there was a lot of pragmatism needed really to, to get, yeah. get it over the yeah. line work. Yeah, absolutely, and also, and also, when the actors, and also when the actors would suggest something, you, you know whether or not, um, again, like, and and a lot of the things they suggested did, uh, uh, like, a lot of the times it was what they didn't want to say as much as like if they wanted to try something else, like, and and I would, and uh, I guess my editing head just went, okay, can that work without without like, for instance, Hannah, Hannah had a couple of times where she said, I just don't, I just don't need to say that, I could do that with a look, and I'd be like, yeah, absolutely, like the push can, like. It's, I guess it's just knowing that, but I guess that's—I don't know if that's uh, because I'm an editor or just that's what it is for directors in general. Do you know what I mean? So then, when you when you got in the edit, obviously this is a you know it's a unique experience going from from script to producing to then editing, and, and obviously having a hand in. Given COVID, you had a, you had a big hand in in shaping and time to shape the script with all those readers and stuff mm. like that. Then when you got in the edit, what what were some of the discoveries of of the of the story that you made that weren't evident up until that point? I don't know if we made any, uh, if I would say made any discoveries. Story, I mean, just story-wise, um, like, I mean, it's like, did, did did things come out, did you need less of something, more of something, you know, that kind of thing. I think one thing that happened throughout the edit process was we we pulled back a bit more of the humour that would, like, we took out some of the gags okay. that were in the script. 
So um, there was a couple of times there were good gags, but actually they were undermining the tone of that specific moment. Mm. And um, so, and that, and that, to be fair, that was um, that was part of the. Once we were offering it up, we did a. Once we were at the note stage as well, like um, we were at notes with signature, and and also I've, I'm I'm a big believer in doing test screenings. Like, yeah. I always have been as an editor. I will always try and encourage the director to watch it with a room full of people, and feel judged and and feel horrible. And 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 I'm and I'm, I'm always pushing for that when I edit with directors. And so I thought I'd be massively hypocritical if I didn't <laughs> do the same to myself. So I I from day one was like, look, I don't even know if there's money in the budget for this, but I, I will organise a screening if, if that's what it's if that's what's required. Yeah. Just to put it in front of like a dozen people at least, like, and people who like, and generally these in in these in in this sort of independent films, they are other filmmakers, they're people you know within the industry. So actually, they're quite judgmental as well. Like, so, and in, even if they don't express their judgment to you, you can feel it just by sitting in the room. If you know what I mean, mm. there's a feeling when you're watching it with with other people. Yeah, I mean, I went, um, I, but, I remember going to I went to test screenings of Nina Forever when that was in its kind of when it was in its editing phase, and the film I watched and the film I saw at Fright Fest a year later was very different. It was amazing mm. what impact the screenings yeah. obviously had. They can be very informative, and and, and yeah, uh, there was a couple of things that came out of that. I mean, one of the one of the revelations that came out of that 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 all of us that were involved in the project had never even assumed or just taken for granted was that Chaz and Leon are brothers in the film, but uh, but quite a few people hadn't made that connection. Oh, so wow. we had to we had to just like really ramp. Like, like there's a couple of places where we had to ADR a few lines, and I guess it's one of those things where. We had four characters all calling each other bro. Ah. Now, because it was just their, just their <coughs> vernacular, like their, uh, what's the word? Vernacular, just yeah, their, yeah. Yeah, vernacular, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just because that was their vernacular. And it was like, so then it was like going back through the film and uh, pulling back where Vix and Todd used the word bro so that the bros are only really used between Leon and Chad. Oh, wow, that's amazing. To just, to, to just try and emphasize that connection. Hmm. I mean, there was a, there's also, a, we added an, uh, an ADR line in there as well, just to try and help emphasize that. But there's there's something in the test screening process where it was like, wow, I had no idea that people wouldn't get that, but then I'd read it on the page and I've known it for years, so why wouldn't I assume that? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, no, amazing. Um, and the, yeah, the other thing was that came out of that, came out of the test screening and the notes was like, like um, some of these, some of these gags that worked at script level, they're just, they're just, unne- it's not that they don't work. It's just that, are they actually that necessary? Like, are they undermining the tone of the movie? We've got some really nice gags in there and some, and some nice lighthearted moments, but actually if there's too many in there. Tonally, there's, it just changes the balance of the film. So we, we, we held back a few of those as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, let's remind people then, uh, Hounded is out when? previewing in a couple of cinemas on the 28th of October and then uh, available digitally on the 31st of October. Brilliant. Well, it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the BritFlix podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun.
It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. <laughs>